0: Welcome to the Working Well podcast, the show that explores the rapidly changing landscape of work and well-being. Each episode, we dive into the hottest topics of leadership, employee well-being, and the future of work. I'm your host, Tim Boris. For episode 37, I'm honored to be joined by the venerable Dr. Stephen McGregor. We're going to look at how design thinking, athletics, and even engineering impact organizational well-being and the performance of people in companies. To whet your appetite, here's a bit about Stephen. Stephen is a global pioneer and one of the world's top experts on health, leadership, and well-being in the work environment. He's a guest professor at several of the world's leading business schools, coach, and a consultant who has helped tens of thousands of leaders around the world bring their whole selves to the workplace. Dr. McGregor is the author of six books, including Sustaining Executive Performance, Chief Well-Being Officer, and The Daily Reset, 366 nudges to move your life forward. Oh, and just in case you thought he was all about academics, research, and writing books, Stephen is also a former international-level do-athlete and current
1: outdoor enthusiast.
0: Stephen, it's wonderful to have you on the Working Well podcast. Thank you so I much for
1: joining me. Looking forward right. to this conversation.
0: Now, uh, you mentioned you're tuning in from Barcelona.
1: Yes, ring's going there. It's great. I mean, you can tell by my accent, right? No, almost twenty years in Spain. I came out two thousand three to do my postdoc trying to escape. I'm from Glasgow originally, so I was trying to escape the Scottish climate, and I ended up in the back country in Spain, which is the same weather as Scotland, and i thought i've I've blown it I've blown this, so let's go to the Mediterranean, and it's been Barcelona since. Or Catalonia, at least, uh, Girona also, which is a lovely city north, 100 kilometers north of Barcelona, closer to the French border. But it's been, yeah, 19 years in Catalonia. Some good times.
0: It's a beautiful area of the world. I've traveled there a few times and love it. Between the beaches and the mountains and even the interior is just spectacular. Yeah. Now, you're someone who has a lot going on. (laughs) Looking at your profile... Between professorship at uh, universities and entrepreneurial ventures and writing books, you're an engineer by trade. So talk a little bit about how you went from being an engineer to a global workplace well-being expert.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I Yeah, I don't seem to have a permanent home, as you highlighted. And I think that comes from a couple of things. I think one is the fact that I, I work in this field of well-being that I think lends itself to having this very explorative way of advancing thinking and thinking in that that area. And I can touch on that again more deeply in a second, but my specialization in engineering Tim is design. And I think that design also, design thinking is a very broad-based exploratory field of study. And so I, I did a, it was a master's degree in engineering and product design. And then I did a PhD in engineering management with a focus on virtual design teams and really, so a deep study, seven, eight years in design thinking and and learning about what that meant. And for me, in a nutshell, it's about human needs and uncovering often some very basic human needs that are right in front of our face, but we don't tend to satisfy them. And for me, workplace wellbeing essentially was a, a huge example of that, that we have these organizations that are compromising some of the most basic human needs And then we're wondering why we don't form as an organization, why we have high turnover, why we have, you know, low motivation. And so for me, it was applying in the first instance, the tools of design thinking, which is about understanding human needs to trying to look at addressing those through better workplace well-being. So that for me was the connection, which um, I hope at least for your listeners sounds nice and tidy and logical now, but obviously, you know, that took, Several years or more to unfold through my very winding career path.
0: Absolutely. And it makes perfect sense to me. And I think it makes a lot more sense to more people globally now. But eight, 10 years ago, it was probably very out there for, <laughs> for a lot of people you were talking to.
1: I mean, I was trying to sell, talk to clients going back 2000 and. Five. I started the company 2003. A lot of that initial year or two was just looking at, you know, kind of references or or people who have done it before. And for me at the time, finding corporate athlete methodology from Tony Schwartz and Jim Lohr was very useful and inspiring. And I even remember a cold email that I sent to Tony Schwartz back in 2003, and he replied to that. And it really gave me nice energy at the time. And of course, he subsequently went on to do the, the energy project. And I got in touch with Jim Lur recently as well. So it was always great just to go back. And say, I just said, thank you, right? That's all I said. I said, look, you inspired me at the beginning of my journey. And it's been almost 20 years now working in this field of well-being. And I needed that to hang on to. So the, cor- the corporate athlete was one. And another one was the, the work of Juliet and Michael McGannon, mostly at INSEAD Business School. Fit for the fast track and looking at executive fitness for performance and things like that. And I was doing a lot of my work subsequently at ESA business school here in Barcelona, which in the last several years has been ranked number one for executive education. So that gave me, I had the academic background and PhD in design thinking, but I just felt that there was a greater need within this field of health for senior leaders. And so with those two references, you know, as as you quite, quite rightly point out, teaching on executive programs. It was going back now 2008 on the importance of sleep and all they're used to in terms of content is strategy and even innovation was kind of very radical for some of these programs, right? I'm turning up talking about sleep and they're just looking at what's going on here, but it just flew as a content because they needed it so much. And so I might have otherwise been chopped because of that approach within, within the business school, but just the success of the program really kept me going and led on to to further development with other clients.
0: Absolutely. And, and you're obviously coming at the corporate athlete mindset as an athlete yourself and you're an international do athlete, if I read correctly.
1: Yeah, triathlon or triathlon for bad swimmers, Tim. That's how you, (laughs) I get that.
0: (laughs) My first ever Olympic triathlon was my first ever 1500 meter swim. So yeah. Yeah. It, it was ugly. I was the last one out of the water. The good thing is, when you go into transition, yours is the only bike there. So you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, there we go. Simple.
1: <laughs> no, but the sport over the years has been very, even, I, even during my academic university days, I felt that I was thinking better when I was training. I was thinking better when I wasn't sleep deprived. I was thinking better when I wasn't following the kind of student lifestyle and overdoing it on the beer. And so all of these things for me was, it was the business case for cognitive performance, right? So that helped me greatly. And even just the value set that you get with competitive sport, and and just learn so much traveling and, and the discipline of training and competition and execution, all of these different things. So. I'm getting on a bit now, but I'm just recovering from the Valencia Marathon that I ran on Sunday. This is what we normally do, right? You get older, you get slower. So you just up the distance and you tend to kind of keep going for a while longer. So I still like to think that I've got progress because I think progress is such a hugely important concept for us as human beings. And, and I think that ties into a great way into terms of well-being and the journeys that we're on. So I still feel like I got some progress left in the marathon.
0: Well, and we all do. It's, yeah, we may not be competing at the level that we were in our 20s, and uh, that's okay. There's mm-hmm. it's a different mindset of approaching it, and I th- I believe there's so much that leaders and business can learn from the athlete mindset, at least the good things. There are, there are some downsides to the athlete mindset that, that we need to work with athletes on, but, yeah, there are some things we can learn Absolutely in terms of the performance aspect. I came into workplace well-being from the fitness industry and before that, the athletics industry as an athlete myself, and I still 30 something years later, blown away by how people are still the mindset in, in many organizations is drive yourself into the ground, work, 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 and until people burn out and then just hire someone new. Yeah. And, You'd think we'd be past that now, but I know you collaborated with Rory Simpson on the Chief Wellbeing Officer book, and that's a role that there have been some out there for a, quite a while, but it's still that mindset of well-being at the C-suite still hasn't taken hold like I thought it would. Yeah. and It's still a very hard sell. What can you say about that?
1: It's legitimizing recovery and taking a step back i think i think business and especially even the senior leaders i mean it's a generational thing as well i think a lot of the c-suite nowadays they've kind of grown up and they did the hard yards let's say so they suffer greatly (laughs) in many respects through their career and if there is any change now we want to kind of mainstream within business in terms of less hierarchy or balance or recognizing that we have to put as much into life as we do into work because then you get the best out of yourself and work as well right a lot of these positive changes that may try and get started they can sometimes i think be stopped at birth let's say because a lot of the senior people they have their own experience of greater suffering through the way that they follow business that orthodoxy of being busy all the time multitasking and just kind of grinding through and I think it's just realizing that a lot of this athlete's mindset and it's not exclusively the athlete's mindset as you point out but certain things that we can take legitimizing recovery as one of those big ones as I said that means that you get better business results but it does take a leap of faith it's a complex picture right I think it's just recognizing that you can't just be a hundred miles an hour all the time you do burn out, and then you have to then get someone else. I think there are changes, Tim. I think there is a realisation, especially with the technology world that we're living in now, that potentially there is no stop to work. Whereas in the past, we had that natural break when we went home. And now you've got tech, and then you've got post-pandemic, which means that work is always on, potentially. So I think there has to be much more of that organic oscillation that it's not always on like a machine and even some things that I've talked about recently it's is recognizing we kind of hold on to that old model of how we follow business in terms of the 24-hour day right we had the triple eight model and some of my books I've written about this in terms of the case of the new Lanark Mills in Central Scotland with Robert Owen a lot of his work then was mainstream with Ford Motor Company in terms of cutting workers' hours and seeing the productivity rise. So we're looking at work being in areas that were traditionally only for rest or leisure and sleep, but we still don't forgive ourselves. And I think it often starts with ourselves, not just the leaders or the culture and organization. When we're at work, we think, oh, I can only work, right? We're not bringing in elements of rest or leisure into that first Lunch of eight or 10 hours in our office day. But we accept that work will come into these other areas that are traditionally not work. So I think often it is realizing ourselves, what is the mindset that we're bringing to the workplace, right? And, and I think it often does start with ourselves. And then we try and build alliances of like-minded folks around us to try and build that culture step by step. Absolutely. And you make a great point about the work creeping into
0: the other parts of our life but not having the other stuff creep in to work and a lot of people found that with the pandemic working from home they were able to between meetings get a load of laundry done and do some things like that and they found that that eased the burden on the rest of the day and allowed them to find while taking the commute out (laughs) allowed them to enjoy some extra leisure time time with their family and time with their kids And so people that managed that well were able to see great benefits. And I think that's why so many people don't want to go back to the office now, at least people that don't have to go back to the office. And there are still a lot of industries and roles that need to be in person, but it's it's interesting to see the changes. Some of that comes to your new book, The Daily Reset. Can you talk a little bit about how The Daily Reset fits in with that?
1: Yeah, I think it. What I'm picking up from your comments here is the flexibility that we all realized that we could take advantage of during the pandemic. And I know a lot of people found the stress as well. And I think personality is a big part of it. But in many ways, we have to be proactive in kind of redesigning our own rituals and habits and routines. We were on this hamster wheel of business life for however many years, and that had a very standard model that you wake up normally early in the morning and you commute to work. You work further your career at the office, and then you come back and you may be still connected through technology, but we followed that. And maybe there's a high degree of efficiency in that, but maybe it wasn't in our best interest either. So as you say, we have this thrust upon us during the pandemic in terms of working from home. And then all of a sudden we need to kind of work out how to do it, right? Are we going to work from the kitchen table or do we have an office or what happens when the kid bursts in? And... And so we're building up new ways of living and integrating life with work. So I thought we needed a guide to help that. So the daily reset was just a little kind of nudge for every day of the year. And it was recognizing that well-being, I think, in all the years that I've looked at it, 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 you know, epiphanies are important in life. I think we all maybe have a realization or a a key moment that, that takes us down one path or another. But in many ways, sustainable behavior change, often comes just from these little light touches, but having it top of mind and having it consistent. And so for me over the years, it was all about recognizing changing people's behavior in terms of well-being is not just about giving them a deep dive for one week and then they're maybe excited and then they forget about it, but it's about just keeping that light touch presence. And so the Daily Reset is one page a day for every day of the year. Within 12 different themes, Tim, that I think are the most important themes in in well-being. So the traditional ones like sleep and nutrition and movement and exercise and mindfulness and other things like purpose and leadership and and December being community and the importance of social and societal well-being. I've been delighted with that. I'm really proud of that as a work. In, In many ways, it was a kind of synthesis of all the things that I've learned in 20 years in well-being. And trying to really package that into something that's very accessible for people. So even if they're very new to the field and they're very, very busy people, then they maybe have a coffee in the morning. They spend a couple of minutes reflecting on the nudge nudge for that day. Hopefully it moves them to action. They write in the book as well, because we wanted it to not just be something to read, but a journal and something to write in and something to own. And look, not everyone follows that. If you're in November and it's leadership, but you really need help with sleep, which is March's theme. By all means, go to, to March. And the other thing is if people have been buying the book or different book signings and it's maybe July or August, and it's quite a different concept, just picking up a new book and saying, well, don't actually start at page one, just start in the very middle of the book, right? Yeah. So depending on certain things, but it's been a lot of fun. I, I love writing it. A lot of personal stories in there. And uh, I've had great feedback this year. It's just a year. It was released a year yesterday. So that's its first birthday. And hopefully there's many more for it.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And I love the fact that you said about the light touch. And for me, that's in my coaching philosophy, we have the four pillars of performance, mindset, habits, movement, and fuel. And people think building habits is really challenging, but it's not actually when you can understand why it's important and then have that consistency. And we even do like a a minute every morning with clients. It's it's like, do that for two weeks and tell me how you're feeling. It's like, if you do one minute a day.
1: (laughs) Totally. I mean, you build up momentum, you build those new neural pathways in your brain, and it just goes against the whole culture in business and life that you have a big attempt at something. You're really all very capable and intelligent people, but we try something very ambitious and then we tend to leave it there and move on to something else it's kind of wasted energy I think there just has to be more efficient use of our limited time and energy and what we do every day it matters more much more than what we do now and then and I think the more people that realize that it's the whole consistency over intensity trade-off and I think we'll all be much better off for it
0: absolutely and you preaching to the choir here for sure as far as Leadership and organizational performance. How do you work these daily nudges into your consulting and your work with leaders and companies?
1: I guess it depends. Where is the sweet spot? Where is the entry point? I think over the years, clients have come to us and they've had different needs, and I've liked to think the key need in all of it is a better approach to well-being or a more strategic approach to well-being. Let's see, and even. On the previous book, Chief Wellbeing Officer, which then we tried to develop into a platform and a brand, was the tagline, it was elevating well-being as a more strategic concern. And so over the years, clients have maybe come and said, look, we want to just make a culture more positive or we want to try and look at how leaders can be more inspiring or we want to try and think about employee retention or loyalty. And a lot of the content that we subsequently delivered It didn't vary so much, but the entry point is different. So I think the language is key. I think over the years, as I said, culture is important and talking about even culture of design and how you look at discrete behaviours as a means of moving culture forward. And then positive leadership, I think is, is another big one in the whole aspect of performance, because what I always try and highlight with clients is that organizations shouldn't be scared of well-being because I think traditionally I think it's changing the kind of traditional view of it was that it's about doing less work right it's about more time off. it's not about results but I think a lot of positive leadership work is about that positive performance right that you're performing at a high level but you're doing it in a better way and a more human fashion and it's then a sustainable, sustainable way as well exactly and that was the next one that I was going to say the third one we mostly talked about over the years is sustainable performance Um, and that was the first book that I wrote in the area which was then coming off the back of the corporate athlete methodology and what that gave rise to as you well know Tim is that the whole industry of peak performance which is very important right the whole peak performance industry can sometimes go too far in terms of just looking at performance case all the time and people can if they're highly engaged they can also burn out as well so I looked at that whole aspect of sustainability more than the performance case. And again, it goes back to the athlete's mindset, right? If you want to keep going in the longer term, you're going to have to think about what do you do to keep that performance at a high level? And there's a lot of execution recoveries in there, a learning mindset as well, breaking it down what didn't work this season that you're going to change or next race. And that, even that learning culture within an organization is about taking a step back because often companies are so busy but when they finish one project, they're immediately on to the next one and there's no pause to say, Okay, well, how did we do here? Even post project learning, right? Even something as simple as that and taking a day or half a day and just saying, you know, we've been working full on this thing for a month or two, why can we just learn what will happen and let's take some time before we then put the foot to the gas again?
0: I was just having a conversation with a larger corporate client. Um couple weeks ago and we were reviewing what they had done over the past couple of years for learning and development. And they're like, Oh, we've attended this and we've had this speaker and we've done like listed a laundry list of things. And I was like, okay, awesome. How has that changed the organization? And there was this like silence. Well, we did this and we did this. I'm like, okay, what changes were made due to that new information? When this person went to this event, how do they transfer that knowledge to their team? And what impact did it have on the day-to-day operations of the business? And there was this blink, 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 and they didn't have an answer. And I'm like, you're investing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into learning and development, and yet putting the rubber to the road after the traction on change isn't there.
1: In your experience, what needs to be in place for that to happen? I mean, the whole measurement case and even ROI on well-being. I think I've got a, this article here actually in the back wall. The blue one is measuring the ROI of well-being. And look, there's no answers. There's some thoughts that I think are insights in that. It's not an easy one. In terms of l and D, I I think it's on a basic level, right? And by no means, I said, do I have the answer? I'm not exclusively an L&D expert. But I think a big one It's just having those continual touch points. And I think even a lot of my background in design thinking highlighted the importance of that for me. So looking at the experience journey for a customer or for the target that you want to innovate for or redesign for and look at, okay, that full experience could be also outside of your own control as a provider and how else is this experience being impacted from other external factors? Because I was always a big believer, even at the beginning of doing a lot of keynotes and well-being, especially when it was a kind of a novelty for clients, it was like, okay, it was like entertainment, it was like, okay, come and talk about sleep and tell a few jokes and that was it. And I thought, no, I want to know, I want to know, is there any change? Let's do longer journeys. And that could be coaching as as you do and it could be online and it's just saying, okay, so... What is the impact of this? And it can be sometimes simple questions, but what, what have you done differently? I, it could be a very simple question. As a result of this program, six months pass, get them to write a letter to themselves, all these different things and just not just have this one intervention. that Maybe they have a good time and laugh and are inspired, but let's see, let's track that a little bit better. I'll tell you one kind of anecdote in that line is that with a big client of ours, weekly programs were the norm and very expensive. And it would be often the case that they're off site, And then they would go back to the company, the kind of mothership, let's say, and, uh, and there was always this line that they would say, stay away from this guy Monday and probably Tuesday, because he'll still be telling all the stories and all of the impact that he's had from last week's program. By Wednesday, you're safe by Wednesday. The organization has normalized him again. He's forgotten about everything that he was inspired by last week and he's back to normal, right? So that tells you the challenges that we have within the big organization. You take people off-site in a great time, but you're putting them back into the lion's den. And it's very hard to scale up that change. So just can you keep in touch? Can you have a light touch mechanism? The Daily Reset was an attempt to that as well, that something is always there. And it's a physical artifact as well, but even culturally and even in program design, how do you just extend that journey and that experience? That's just a couple of reflections.
0: Well, and that maybe is the next daily reset book for you to write is the leadership daily reset for teams and organizations. <laughs> like, what do idea. You
1: to- yeah. yeah. Cause I think people have been asking, especially since it's been out for a year now. And people got in touch and say, look, i read the full thing. What do I do next? As if I'm going to come up with another 365. Come on, give me a break. I had about 50 extra actually, but even at the beginning, I thought I'm never going to get to 365. I went to 366 actually for the leap year, 29th of February. But it was surprisingly, it was easier than I thought, but it was an interesting process to try and get that amount.
0: Yeah. Well, especially when you break it into 12 categories and this unlimited amount of content potential in those categories so i love it and yeah people just need to buy it again next year and repeat it every year because by the time you go through it you're probably not going to remember what you did on january 1st
1: look i mean i was inspired i talked about this in the introduction i was inspired it was in my head for a bit but then a friend gave me a copy of the daily stoic and especially during the pandemic that whole area of stoicism i felt was very valuable and look i've had that daily stoic for a couple of years and you're always missing things and you read it again and it's new because you're a new person, right? And I think well-being is that as well. Well-being isn't an answer to a problem that you, you find one time. It's not acquiring knowledge and then you're done. It's a constant journey. It's constantly in play because our lives change. The context changes. And so the answer has to change every time. Um, and so I was firmly of the belief that I want people to write in it, just destroy it. And that's your daily reset for whatever, 2022. For 2023, even though it was the same content, unless I come up with something, else, it's still a new book because you're you're a new person, right? So I, I firmly believe in that. Yeah,
0: yeah I love that. And, and I think people forget. It's like when you watch a, a movie, you take something else, but you read your favorite book again. Speaking of, well, Paulo Coelho, I read The Alchemist, I think probably... A dozen times in the last 30 years. And every time I read it, something new, something new yeah. comes in. Yeah.
1: And that is such a short book, but it is so many layers of meaning in it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. Who I was when I was backpacking the first time I read it versus now as a father of two kids and business owner. And it's like, it's a very different phase of life, very different mindset, different person. I look forward to it. I've got it on my Kindle and I'm going to be writing it in my journal. That's something I'm looking forward to diving into this year. So so I know you, it's Friday night for you and you've got your son waiting and your family. And so before we wrap up, a lot of people listening are leaders, mid-level managers, and they're trying to create change in their organization. And so what is your word of advice or words of advice to help them create that change in a, in a meaningful way in their organization?
1: I think there's a couple of things. I think other people need to see evidence of change in a way. And so for the leader or the person who's responsible for driving that change, they have to be very careful with their own behavior as well, right? So role modeling is hugely important. Because I think, and I've said this many times over the years, it often doesn't matter what the policy is within an organization. Many organizations they spend a lot of time designing policy, but then a lot of the senior folks are not really the best examples of that, let's see, right? So if it is well-being centric, if it is driving positive change and progressive change within an organization and better way of working, then the person driving that change should be very aware of their own behaviors as a role model. And then also thinking about their peers, right? And thinking about is, is there a way that they can talk to their peers, other people in the C-suite or at their level and to say, let's, let's try and drive a movement here. I think you don't do it alone either. So I think having champions at different levels of the organization, I think people might often think with an eye roll, here's another initiative for change coming from my boss. But then if someone in their team or someone even, then another function that's even below them in terms of seniority is going for it as well, then I think that's a different story. So I think picking different people to champion that, and it doesn't need to be by seniority, it could just be that they are good networkers within the organization and well-connected. And third and, and final piece, just top three that are in my head, the third one is seeing kind of physical change. And I, I know that's maybe a bit counter to a lot of the world the work that we're living in, just now when we're working from home, but just to see something in the office space. And if no one is in the office, just think about some physical artifact. I think when we are living our lives more and more in the virtual world, artifacts matter. I'm looking around my desk now and I'm seeing, even for me, working from here, I need things that remind me the journey and this is here. This is the the mascot for the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. So when it was the Olympics in Barcelona, I was like 15 years old. And I remember these iconic images of the of the diving with the city behind. I thought, wow, what an amazing city. And then come live here. And I just cycled past that diving pool this morning when I was out on my bike. So physical artifacts are hugely important. And this doesn't mean fill the office with ping-pong tables or gimmicks and all these different things. It could just be if previously it was all kind of siloed and, and kind of cubicles that you open it out. Or you have options for people. So people want to do focus work. They can have a private space, but they can have a collaborative space as well, right? When we're going back to the office, you don't want people maybe thinking, well, I don't want to really be here. Now they do is Zooms anyway, right? If you're going to go to the office now, you want to work, you want to collaborate, you want to brainstorm. So you want to make that place, creative place with atmosphere that people are happy to to go to, right? And and still it matters if you're just doing a lot of virtual work and working from home. How can you keep that connection with organization? I remember talking to a client a couple of years ago during the pandemic, something Google did, just to tell you very quickly. I thought it was really interesting. In fact, and a lot of Google was... They haven't liked traditionally people not being in the office. And then what they find when people were working from home, a lot of the kind of, even just the brand awareness was lacking. So they looked at how can we have a physical artifact that's going to remind people you're a Googler, right? If they needed that in any case. And so they did master classes to take the pressure off for people. And they did like a barista class to teach people how to make coffee at home because they were used to being in the Google offices, getting free. Fantastic coffee. They're at home and they're grumbling because they have crap coffee, right? So they've got barista master class but what they did, they didn't just do the virtual class. They sent out a pack that was mailed out to the people beforehand, so that they could go along and they had the pack. And part of the pack was the, the top. They had a, a template that was the Google G, so that at the end that you put the foam on, and then you had like the chocolate topping or whatever, and then you put the template, and then you took that off via the coffee and it had the google g on top right so people can be cynical and say just branding and corporate but artifacts i'm just i'm fascinated by that as a designer and, and i think that's the third and final piece that i would say to people just do something that people can see and people can feel and touch well and,
0: and you bring a good point too that it's matching with the corporate culture and the brand of the organization the, not just the visual brand but feeling of the brand and modeled by leaders. Thank you. Those are awesome tips.
1: Yeah. I think final part on that is just because it's not easy for leaders, right? So when we are just on the camera all the time, if you think about it, and getting back to this aspect of experience, um, traditionally you go to the office and your experience of your day is the commute, who you talked to at the coffee machine, what you bought for lunch, what the weather was like, all these different things if we're working from home, great flexibility, but often the experience for work is who you're talking to through this camera, right? And that often puts the pressure on the manager who are exhausted enough because they have kind of head counts and being empathetic and coaching mindset and all these different things. So I think some of these things that I've just mentioned that it's about taking the pressure off for a manager as well, because leading a change and well-being they have to think about their own own well-being first. I think that's critical.
0: Yeah, well, it's a great point. Yeah, so many managers and leaders are stressed and burnt out right now and it's impacting their ability to lead, which in turn impacts the health and well-being of their teams and the organization. A lot of the coaching I've been doing recently is working with managers and leaders to things like the daily nudges, go back to the basics. Let's take care of you mindset, habits, movement, fuel, work through those pillars, and all of a sudden, they're sleeping better, their mood's improved, and now they're becoming better leaders because of that, because they've taken their physical, mental, emotional stress more off the table, or at least have a good handle on it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for your insights, Stephen. It's been great to chat, and I look forward to seeing – we didn't get the chance to talk about your stealth startup i'm looking forward to seeing what happens out of that but but yes i'll be in touch again and thank you again for your insights
1: pleasure tim great talking to you today thank you
0: that wraps up another episode of the working well podcast if you enjoyed the show please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now which guests or topics would you like to see featured on the show Message me through LinkedIn or on the contact page of timboris.com with your ideas. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.